0: Thanks for listening to the Voices of UMass Med, featuring the people, ideas, and advances of UMass Medical School.
1: Hello and welcome to the Voices of UMass Med podcast. I'm Jennifer Berryman. Today we're joined by renowned infectious disease expert Dr. Robert Finberg. Dr. Finberg is the Richard M. Hadak Professor in Medicine at the University of Massachusetts Medical School and of course Chair and Professor of the Department of Medicine. Dr. Finberg, welcome.
0: Thank you very much. Good to be here.
1: We're really um, appreciative of you spending some time with us right now because uh, there's so much, so much happening um, that falls squarely into your a- area of expertise. Um, you have been at the forefront of the coronavirus research here at UMass Medical School. So uh, th- before we kind of get into our conversation, I just kind of want to update folks on the caseload. So we're recording This conversation in late October, the number of coronavirus cases is rising. Nationwide, we're approaching 9 million cases and a quarter million deaths. That's according to the Johns Hopkins University Coronavirus Resource Center. Here in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, more than 150,000 people have tested positive. And sadly, nearly 10,000 people have died. When you hear this data on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, what do you think?
0: Well, I think that this is something that occurs about every 100 years. Uh, obviously, we don't see pandemics every day. Uh, I think that we're uh, we're confronting it actively. Uh, but uh, obviously, we have not solved this issue.
1: When we think about the number of positive cases going up, how much do you think is attributable to the availability of testing? And, and how much is, avail- is attributable to more disease in our communities?
0: Uh, there's no question there's more disease in our communities. It's not availability of testing. I mean, the testing is good, but we know that we've been testing all along here. And we know that our incidence has gone from less than 1% to uh, maybe 3 to 4% uh, in the last month or so. So it's definitely increasing.
1: And for the average person who's not a physician, not an infectious disease expert, what, what would you point us to follow? What are the indicators that you would recommend people keep an eye out for?
0: I think that the number of positives and the number of deaths are obviously critically important, and that's the way you can figure out. Uh, what the uh, pandemic is doing. From the healthcare perspective, what we're concerned about is hospital capacity, because what happened in the surge in in March is that we were uh, nearly outstripping the capacity to take care of patients. And obviously, that's something we're very uh, focused on, because we want to make sure that we can care for all those who need care.
1: And and as a clinical provider as well, would you say that um, if if and when a, a, a second surge comes, do you feel like healthcare providers are better suited now than they were in April to take care of patients with COVID?
0: Yes, we we are clearly much better prepared now uh, than we were in April, and, and I think there's a lot less panic. But we want to make certain. Uh, that we have enough uh, hospital beds and enough ventilators and whatever else we need. And uh, I think it's good to be uh, uh, warned in advance. And uh, I think things will go much better if we do have such a surge.
1: And what do you tell people who are fatigued, tired, depressed, uh, of all the restrictions and all the precautions that are being taken?
0: Well, I, I tell them uh, that uh, I understand uh, how they feel. However, we're doing this to protect the vulnerable. Um, and and uh, I, I think it's important that people understand that they are responsible for the elderly, for the infirm. Uh, and it's important for us as a, a, group, a, a country, a group, uh, community. Uh, to look after those
1: people. I do want to talk about your clinical trials, and we will do that shortly. But since we're approaching the holiday season, a lot of families are having conversations about whether it makes sense to get together for Thanksgiving. Can that be done safely? Um, can Can people travel safely? And, and same will go for the December holidays as well. I wonder if you share uh, your how what would you tell people to guide that decision making process?
0: I think one has to be careful. Uh, one does not want to go in large groups of people indoors, particularly people that are are not uh, obeying uh, masking and social distancing. I think that would be unwise. Uh, obviously, uh, a few members of the family getting together. Uh, And uh, wearing masks and and, uh, being careful about hygiene uh, would be indicated. Uh, I don't think anyone is saying that one shouldn't uh, visit one's relatives. However, one has to be particularly careful. Uh, And um, certainly wearing masks is important. And staying uh, away from uh, coughing on people and exposing them to potentially uh, infectious materials is, is critical.
1: As we mentioned earlier, you really have been one of the leaders at the forefront of the many COVID-19-related research projects uh, underway at UMass Medical School. You, in particular, have been testing potential therapies, treatments, vaccines, including Pfizer's. Coronavirus vaccine, which is now in clinical trials. Um, Of course, you were the principal investigator for the Pfizer trial at UMass Medical School. Can you give us uh, an update on that study or an overview of where things stand uh, as of late October?
0: Sure. Uh, So, uh, over 40,000 people have actually uh, received the vaccine. It is a uh, double blind placebo based vaccine. So, actually, about 20,000 or more have received the actual vaccine. Uh, the Pfizer is anticipating, uh, to finish the study, uh, sometime in November. They are collecting the the data right now in order to find out if it's effective. They will need a certain number of positive cases. And, um, the hope is that, uh, that will happen. There are several other vaccine trials. Uh, Moderna is far along as well, and, um, they're looking to get data and there are, it's, there are actually 12 different uh, vaccine trials in phase three, and there are more in um, phase one. So, a number of different vaccines. Exactly uh, when we will get enough data to know if it's, if it's effective is not clear.
1: Is it clear? Um, I'm curious that for the folks enrolled in the trial, how long do they need to be followed to have some degree of confidence that the, the vaccine is either safe? uh, or effective?
0: Well, that's a complex question. Uh, <laughs> all, all, uh, this is a two-year trial, just, just to start by answering the simple question. Uh, the, the more complicated question is, should this vaccine be giving, given emergency use authorization, uh, which it might be, uh, that would be an authorization before, um, the trial has finished, uh, that could occur. Uh, Vaccines, uh, like other medicines, uh, can sometimes, when they are given to huge numbers of people, turn out to have side effects that were not found in the clinical trials. That could also happen. So uh, I can't give you uh, assurance uh, until the vaccine becomes widespread uh, that uh, there won't be side effects that aren't known. And and I think that that's complicated. On the other hand, uh, if we give this to 40,000 people, Uh, and there are no serious adverse events, Uh, one can be fairly confident that if there are such events, they will be rare. Uh, I'm not sure what else to say about that. Efficacy will depend on how many cases there are in that
1: group. Understood. And of course, that's the case with any vaccine that uh, anybody takes at any time, pandemic or not. Um, so, uh, presumably, at some point, Pfizer and all the other companies that are in, uh, involved in clinical trials will decide they have enough data to go to the federal government to seek that approval. Um, and then the, the, but the monitoring will not stop at that point, I guess, that's it's right. an important thing to point out.
0: Yep. I mean, I think that Pfizer and Moderna and AstraZeneca are committed. Uh, to to monitor uh, regardless of whether they get authorization. Um, And how long authorization is going to take is um, really not clear at the moment.
1: And of course, many people are watching that. So I want to talk a little bit about who you enrolled um, at UMass for this clinical trial. I know you had a very explicit goal and explicit outreach to communities that are typically underrepresented in clinical research, and I want, I want to give you the opportunity to talk about that and, and tell us what you did and why it's so important.
0: Yes, well, we were particularly anxious because uh, both Latinx and African-American communities are overrepresented. Uh, in cases of COVID-19, particularly severe COVID-19. and for that reason we did reach out to those communities uh, to, to enroll uh, more people proportionally in that group. The other group, of course, that is disproportionately represented uh, is uh, people over the age of 65. And we tried to reach out to uh, to all of those groups specifically uh, because one, we wanted to get them the vaccine and two, it was important to find out, whether that those groups that are more susceptible will respond as well as other groups. Um, one doesn't want to have a vaccine that only works in a certain group of people.
1: Regardless of when the vaccine is ready, of course, then it has to be distributed and administered to uh, countless numbers of people. So Governor Massachusetts Governor Charlie Baker has recruited you to join his coronavirus vaccine advisory group to advise him on how to prepare for the distribution of the vaccine when it becomes available. Um, What light can you shed on that process for us? What are some of the things that that advisory group will be considering?
0: Okay, so uh, an interim uh, draft report has already been uh, uh, submitted to the uh, Department of Public Health uh, and the interim draft is actually on their website. Uh, The thought is that there will be uh, three phases of distribution. The initial phase um, will encompass when only a small amount of drug is available. And uh, the goal here uh, is to give it to those people at risk for severe illness, including those over 65, uh, as well as essential workers, including uh, those people um, who deliver health care to people with COVID uh, and those people uh, who work in long-term care. Um, Care units, skilled nursing facilities, uh, and emergency rooms, including first responders. So that would be phase one, where it's anticipated there's a, only a, a limited amount of drug available. In phase two, when larger numbers of vaccine doses are available, the DPH's uh, the current thought would be to expand to community organizations to target diverse communities uh, and use community health care centers, uh, playing a major role. And in the third phase, the concept is to try to uh, immunize the entire population. Um, The uh, Department of Public Health is going to reach out to commercial vendors, uh, emergency health, mobile health programs, uh, and they are committed to ensuring access to everyone in the Commonwealth. So providers who provide this uh, vaccine uh, will not be able to deny it to anyone, regardless of immigration status or ability to pay.
1: All right. So while we uh, watch closely the development of the vaccines for coronavirus, uh, in the meantime, we're approaching the seasonal flu season, influenza, and you have studied uh, this for much of your career. You've always said that the flu is serious and it needs to be treated as such and people should get a seasonal flu shot. So uh, I assume you feel even more strongly about that this year.
0: Yeah, I do feel more strongly because, uh, one, uh, it is conceivable that one can have both diseases. Um, uh, That's actually been reported. Uh, That's the last thing you want is to have uh, two different viruses. And also, uh, unfortunately, it's the same people, people over 65, uh, people who are immunocompromised or have heart or lung disease who are subject uh, to mortality with flu. Uh, a flu, a bad flu year uh, in the United States might kill uh, 50,000 people. So that what we've seen with the COVID epidemic right now is the equivalent of something like four bad flu uh, years. But certainly, having flu on top of COVID uh, is not going to help anyone and puts a, a lot of vulnerable people at risk as well. So I would urge people uh, to get the flu shot. Obviously, we want to give it to vulnerable people but we want to protect them uh, by not spreading it to them. Therefore, it's very important, and, and the state has mandated this actually, uh, that not we not only give it to the elderly, but we give it to young people as well to prevent them from communicating it to the elderly people who are at most risk uh, from dying of flu.
1: And so that's just an important thing I want to point out. Getting the flu shot is not only about protecting yourself from getting the flu.
0: Yes, that's true. And again, I think people tend to uh, dismiss the flu uh, as being uh, like a cold. It's really not. Uh, the flu has a, a mortality. Uh, again, that mortality is predominantly in people over 65, but not solely. And young people die of the flu every year. Uh, children die of the flu. Uh, it is not uh, something that we should take casually. And furthermore, it's preventable. Uh, this is something we can actually do something about. So uh, the vaccine is safe. Uh, effectiveness varies from year to year, but it is genuinely it is generally uh, quite effective. Uh, and it, we've gotten better about predicting what strains there are. There are now four different strains in the current vaccine. And actually there's a higher dose vaccine uh, for people over 65. And uh, that's also recommended.
1: And in terms of timing, what, what is the best time by by when should people make sure they have their flu vaccine
0: well obviously it dep- <laughs> it's a little hard to know because it depends when the epidemic occurs and the epidemic occurs every year. It usually occurs by December, so we aim that people should have their flu before December. however, i can't guarantee it won't occur in November in uh, which case it would be better to get it uh, in November, so we are emphasizing now we are actively uh immunizing our employees, and I would recommend uh, to people that they get it now.
1: You mentioned the, the statewide in Massachusetts, the statewide policy this winter requiring all children who are six months and up, who are in a state daycare, preschool, kindergarten, every, every school age, daycare age, college age, uh, child uh, must receive a vaccination. Um, some critics say that that requirement takes choices away from families. You've touched on this already, but um, what's your take on this policy?
0: The policy is designed to protect those who get the vaccine because it is protective. And as I said, children do die of flu every year. There are children that die of the flu and also to protect to protect the vulnerable. Uh, if we can prevent an epidemic, we can. Pre- the way to prevent an epidemic uh, is to prevent sneezing and coughing. Wearing masks certainly should help us. However, the vaccine uh, is critical. And if we can vaccinate enough people, we will have a much milder uh, season uh, and we'll have fewer deaths. Uh, I can't say that there is anything more important that we have to offer uh, in terms of the flu. Uh, than the vaccine right now,
1: and of course, you know one of the reasons that the that the flu shot is so important this year is because the symptoms of influenza are so similar to the symptoms of coronavirus. Um, can you remind us, you know, what are the early signs? Sometimes that people tend to see. What should we be on the lookout for, either in ourselves or our loved ones?
0: That's certainly true. I, I mean, fever. Uh, and cough are, are certainly, uh, it's fever, cough, and sore throat are, are major symptoms uh, of both of these illnesses. Um, the, um, and therefore, that, that's something that, that one should be aware of. Uh, COVID can have uh, additional symptoms. Both of them have uh, fatigue, muscle aches, so, um, myalgias, uh, arthralgias. Um, so those are the things that one should be aware of.
1: And don't hesitate to call your doctors or, right, or go to the emergency room if you're feeling.
0: You don't, well, calling your doctor is probably preferred doing a flu epidemic or a COVID epidemic because having uh, large groups of people uh, in the emergency room is probably not ideal. But certainly calling your doctor and and talking to them about your symptoms. Uh, And for healthcare workers or others, they should call their, uh, call employee health uh, to get advice about what to do. Whether to come to work.
1: I mean, I think a lot of people, just average folks out here are looking ahead at the next few months with a, a bit of a sense of concern, certainly maybe dread. Um, it could be a, a bit of a slog. So, you know, what is the message that, you know, what are the couple of things that you would say that people really just need to keep at the forefront of their minds and continually remind ourselves?
0: I think what we need to remind ourselves is how these diseases are spread. They're spread by the, the respiratory route, so coughing, people that have, are coughing uh, are putting other people at risk. If you don't wear a mask, you are potentially putting your neighbors at risk because we don't know you can be asymptomatic uh, and carrying either of these diseases, uh, either influenza, or COVID, uh, and you can be coughing and spreading it around without, uh, without your knowledge. So what's critical is that you should get your flu shot, uh, and then in terms of COVID, um, pre- uh, social distancing, mask wearing, uh, and particularly protecting vulnerable people, um, particularly the elderly and the immunocompromised is critical.
1: Dr. Robert Finberg, Chair of the Department of Medicine at the University of Massachusetts Medical School. Thank you so much for joining us.
0: Thank you. It's a pleasure to do. It.
1: Thank you. Stay well. Thank you for all your work.
0: Keep up to date with everything happening at UMass Medical School by following us on Facebook at UMass Med, on Twitter at UMass Medical, and on LinkedIn at University of Massachusetts Medical School.